Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Tomasi. Well, hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, developers, and curious individuals. And as always, I say that with the utmost respect to everyone. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. And it is my pleasure today to have with me author, blogger, man of many talents, Tim Woodruff. How are you today, Tim? My friend, I am fantastic. I'm made of coalesced carbon and exploded stars, a talking monkey with shoes. Everything is grand. How are you? <laughs> wow. You know what? You're absolutely right about that uh, carbon from the exploded stars. Right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Among uh, atomic elements, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm Tim Woodruff, uh, the founder of the SN Guys, which a uh, little nugget of sort of breaking news as we record this as of today I'm excited to announce that we've uh, we're, we're joining forces with uh, Janelle Group, and so we're going to partner up with them, and and uh, so that I can step back a bit from the business side of things at the SN Guys, which is the part that I hate. Um, <laughs> I uh, also just joined up with Tanium as a senior ServiceNow architect and developer, building some really powerful integrations between Tanium and the ServiceNow platform. I'm very excited about what's going on at Tanium, and I'm very happy to be there. Um, I'm the author of Learning ServiceNow and the ServiceNow Development Handbook, among other books. Um, and uh, I'm the creator of the SN Pro Tips blog, where I publish loads of articles and free tools about the, the platform that are mainly meant to make developers' lives easier. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Wow, busy man, busy man. And when you're not doing all those work-related things, what do you enjoy doing in your free time? Well, I run a couple of uh, charities in my free time, uh, one of which, probably the main one, is dedicated to preventing homelessness before it happens. 44% of Americans in an emergency can't come up with $400, and that's, that's a pre-pandemic statistic. The other charity is dedicated to getting elderly people with macular degenerations into VR headsets and providing the uh, low-income old folks' homes uh, with VR headsets and VR capable computers, because it turns out if you can't see due to macular degeneration, you can actually see fine in VR because the screens are so close to your eyes. There's less time for light for the diffusion of the light through the degenerated macula. Um, there's plenty of people who haven't been able to paint or see their grandkids or whatever since they lost their vision due to MD. And uh, it's, it's nice to be able to put them in VR and help them do that again. I also go on little road trip adventures, explore ghost towns or abandoned nuclear power plants or whatever else seems interesting to explore around the Pacific Northwest. Other than that, I spend a lot of time in the ServiceNow development community Slack answering questions and reviewing code and trying to get back to the amazing community that helped me get to where I am today. Wow, that's, that, you know, the, the whole charity thing is, it warms my heart. That's amazing. I did not know that about VR and macular degeneration. That's Pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff. And uh, let's let's back up the clock a little bit because every ServiceNow superhero has their own origin story. So tell us, how did you get your ServiceNow start? Well, it was Symantec who makes uh, tools like Norton Antivirus mm -hmm. who first got me into ServiceNow. I was responsible at the time for global training in QA. So I would travel around the world and teach programming, hacking, networking, uh, general tech. But my entire department got outsourced uh, overseas eventually. And they sort of reappointed me to training on their upcoming ITSM platform, ServiceNow, which they'd not yet uh, implemented. 
So I was learning about ServiceNow for that purpose. And as it happens, their former IT partner wasn't able to provide their knowledge-based content in a consumable format that they could import into ServiceNow. To convert their knowledge base into a format that was usable, the former IT partner wanted about half a million dollars in six months' time. Um, the implementation partner they had wasn't able to do it. So because they found this all out on the Thursday before the Monday on which they were meant to launch, rather than half a million dollars in six months, I offered to spend the weekend writing a program to parse the direct export of their knowledge content and spit out a consumable JSON object that we could import into ServiceNow. I finished about four hours before the formal launch. And when I woke up from a nap that Monday, they offered me a role as their internal ServiceNow admin and developer. I, it just, it, it, it always warms my heart when, when you can take developer skills and solve a problem like that where people are saying, oh, this is going to take forever. And you look at it and go, no, I could do that over the weekend. <laughs> you know, it's, that's, that's the power of software development, kids. It's, it's really... Uh, anybody who's starting their career in that to see those opportunities and be able to bring a solution and go, yeah, I, I got this. I got this. It, it, it comes up more and more uh, as I've seen over my career. But OK, let's let's back to you. What what was the first app you built? ServiceNow or otherwise? Take take your your old timey wimey machine and tell me about an old app you built. Probably the first app I ever built in my entire career that was, you know, meant for anyone but me to use uh, was an, a tool that I called Clippy for reasons which currently escape me. Um, it was back when I was working at Symantec. It was a bit before the world learned about Stuxnet, which was the rootkit virus built by a couple of nation states, including the U.S., meant mm -hmm. to take out Iranian nuclear refineries. There was a little precursor going around which abused a few of the many vulnerabilities used by Stuxnet. I think it was called Skynet or something. Anyway, back when I was doing third-tier tech support at Symantec, I noticed a surge of computers with a borked Microsoft Visual C++ runtime library. I looked into it and found a specific files ACLs have been modified, and it no longer matched the hash of the original file from a clean system. So I wrote a tool to identify the issue and remediate it, along with a bunch of other issues that accompanied the infection, including ARP cache poisoning and some other stuff. And uh, that tool was what allowed Symantec to detect that precursor and then eventually to detect Stuxnet, making Symantec the first antivirus company that was able to detect and even remediate Stuxnet in the whole world, which was pretty cool. You had a hand in detecting Stuxnet. All right. I like that story. <laughs> oh, one of the precursors, yeah. It was, a, it was a really fun job. So we talked a few months ago, just kind of throwing some ideas around of what you might want to talk about if, if and when the time came to do this podcast. And here we are. But when we talked earlier, you mentioned a project called Smarter Update Sets. Tell us about that. Sure. So Smarter Update Sets, or SUS, and that wasn't originally a joke relating to the popular online game Among Us, but now it definitely is. <laughs> SUS is a tool which, you know, makes update sets smarter. You could probably guess that from the name. Um, it does a bunch of stuff when you're a developer working in update sets, especially in the global scope, but also elsewhere. Um, does things like it prevents you from accidentally closing update sets, which contain either checked out workflows or updates from multiple scopes. Uh, workflows, especially because if you're anything like me, you've modified a workflow, closed and deployed your update set, hopefully to your test environment, and then wondered why your new workflow wasn't working. The answer being because you published it or, or because you've never published it in your dev environment and therefore it was never captured in your update set. Mm -hmm. So it's just sitting there. 
and mixed scope update sets. A lot of the time you'll end up with updates from multiple scopes in your update set. You close it, you push it, you try to deploy it, and the platform says, nope, sorry, you can't deploy that, which is fair. But uh, I feel like it's pretty reasonable to uh, prevent you from closing that update set so you know and you don't have to you know, go back and try and you know, sift through things and it just makes it a lot easier on you. It also does some other neat stuff like it warns you when you update a tracked application file, such as a business rule in the default update set, if you're an administrator, to prevent accidentally making a bunch of changes and not realizing you're not in a proper update set. And it either warns on or prevents duplicate update set names, which makes things a lot more clear. Um, loads of other stuff. All these features are pretty highly configurable and can be independently switched on or off too. So in general, it just adds some much needed features to the platform's handling of update sets to make the admins of developers' lives easier. And I see you've got a short link here. We'll put that in the show notes to sus.snc.guru. Is that correct? That's right. All righty. Well, we also talked about another project called Was This Email Helpful? <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, what's that about? Yeah, so... Um, Fundamentally here, the the core of the issue that the the Wate or was this email helpful tool <laughs> is trying to solve is that when some of your users are deleting emails from your instance without reading them, they're they're marking them as spam or they're building filters to bounce them into a folder where they can be summarily ignored. Users aren't usually doing this because they're lazy or malicious. They do it typically because they've become so accustomed to emails from your instance being not tacitly useful, not actionable, not valuable to them in the moment. And as a result, they feel confident that it's not important to read emails from your instance as they come in, if they even read them at all. So WTEH, was this email helpful, is a tool that allows your users to basically click a button in their emails to report whether they found the email helpful or not. Um, they can also provide some explanation as to why they feel that way, and it allows you to then go into your instance as an administrator and report on the average sentiment regarding the different types of notifications that you have. And with the help of the Duke, Rob Fedor, uh, we've also got uh, some reports pre-built for you as part of the WTEH tool. And if you have Performance Analytics Premium, there's a separate update set that you can install. It's on the same page uh, to download that. And that update set includes a bunch of beautiful advanced dashboards, including a sentiment analysis word cloud, which you can drill down into on a notification by notification basis and really get a sense of how helpful your users think your various types of notifications mm. are. I um, also released, um, along with WTEH, an article about what to do once you've identified a less than useful notification type and how you can make your notifications more useful and actionable and how to use a dramatically underutilized feature of the ServiceNow platform more effectively. For example, email digests. Mm. Very useful. Very few customers I've seen actually use them. Mm -hmm. I think they're great. Um, sort of unrelated, but this is also the tool that inspired me to write uh, another tool that I'm currently working on. It's an updater tool. I plan to release it as a standalone probably next year. It's a tool that allows you to quite simply take your non-store application or other package and include this updater so that it, it alerts admins when um, an update to your app is available. It doesn't download and install it, but it lets them know when an update is available. So WTEH uh, will do that. It'll let you know when there's an update available, but without pestering you about it or trying to install it itself. Nice. I agree. Email digests are underutilized. That's uh, 
We were just talking about that today with somebody else on a totally different topic, but um, it came up and went, interesting use case. We talked about another, you got lots of projects in here, so we, we, we got a lot of them. Uh, tell me about event-driven recursion. It sounds like something you do mathematically. Sure. Um, so event-driven recursion is less of a tool and more of a, a design or coding pattern. It's one that I developed to very simply perform heavy operations, such as a mass delete or a mass update, which might otherwise hit database transaction or timing limits, and break it into little batches to be processed asynchronously one after the other, like serialized asynchronicity. This approach has a few advantages. You can break this massive operation into arbitrarily large or small chunks to be done piece by piece, so you don't run into any limits of any sort. And it sort of pauses between batches and sends itself to the back of the metaphorical queue, mm -hmm. uh, which allows other events to process without clogging up the queue because it uses the event processor as the trigger for each batch to be processed asynchronously. Um, it's also just about as efficient as you can get because the delay between doing one batch and doing the next batch is only as long as it takes for the event processor to pick up an event trigger. And because it only fires the next event when the previous event has finished processing, or the previous batch has finished processing, it won't clog up your queue with multiple jobs trying to do the same thing. So you don't have an issue where multiple threads are attempting to access a single resource. I've got an article on this and some sample scripts over at EDR, as in eventdrivenrecursion.snc.guru. Here, we'll give you the bell. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is your favorite part of the Now platform today? My favorite part of the Now platform today, I have to say, even though I feel as though ServiceNow is moving further and further from this model as time goes on, the best part of the platform right now is still the fact to me that you can do almost anything with it. If I'm honest, I have to say that I'm really frustrated and disappointed as ServiceNow seems to be pushing more and more of this sort of walled garden approach to some things, which limits your options as to what you can do as time goes on. But even so, the vast majority of the power of the platform remains and still lies in the fact that you can do very nearly anything with it. When a client asks me if I can do something in the ServiceNow platform, I'll very often suggest a different or better thing to do or a better way of doing it. Mm -hmm. But it's a very, very rare occasion that I have to actually say, no, that cannot be done. And if I have to say, no, it can't be done in ServiceNow, then I can almost guarantee you that it can't be done in any other platform or tool either. <laughs> It's it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I always tell people the beauty of the platform is you can do anything, and the danger is you can do anything. And what we've heard from our customers is, look, a lot of times when you get a partner or a contractor or somebody in here, they go and do something that, frankly, impacts our future upgrades, impacts our ability to maintain and support what they did. So the customers are really driving that discussion around, hey, we need more prescriptive guardrails to prevent us from running off the rails and costing us later. We've, we've seen some customers that have gotten so far down the rabbit hole that they've had to re-implement and said, look, we're not doing anything except out of the box. If you got to write a script, you're doing it wrong. I mean, that's, that's a little heavy-handed in my opinion because you can write well-crafted JavaScript that survives the test of time. So there's, there, there's two sides of that coin that, that you know, we're responding to the market demand that says, look, if we're going to be your strategic partner, we want to make sure that we're going to be your strategic partner for more than a couple of years until you go, 
well, that was a dumb customization. What did we do that for? Yeah, and I, I, I can see how a lot of customers end up in those situations. In fact, when I first started uh, the SN guys, our sort of company tagline was, we will un-F-word your instance <laughs> because, because the vast majority of the work that we did was companies coming to us and saying, hey, we worked with this partner and they completely borked our instance. We tr- were trying to do an upgrade. We worked with them six, 12 months ago, and now we're trying to do an upgrade. It's impossible. Or we're trying to change this thing about our incident process. And they built this massive spaghetti Cthulhu tendril kind yeah. of customization that's just out of nowhere, and, and we don't know what to do with it. And so they sort of bring in you know, us as the sort of heavy hitters to try and on F word, their instance. <laughs> and you had a thread on LinkedIn recently, something about that. It was, uh, what was it? A messed up coding or what, what was that about? Yeah, it, something to the tune of just because your code is code doesn't mean it should be coded. Uh, you're not trying to invoke some arcane sorcery. You're trying to tell exactly two entities what your code is doing. One is the system you're programming and the other is your future self or another developer. So be kind to both of those things. I think my favorite comment in that thread was the guy who said somebody named their variables one and two. And then later oh. there was a comparison. If one equals literally the numbers, kids, they, they <laughs> named their variables number digit one and digit two. And I went, how does that even work? <laughs> yeah, that one hurt me like deeply on a personal level. I felt attacked by that. <laughs> that was, oh, there's some good stuff in there. I didn't realize you would get such a a wonderful cadre of stories out of that. I mean, there were there were a half a dozen of them that I just went, really? Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a wonderful subreddit for that kind of thing called Programming Horror that I'm completely addicted to. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I think uh, somebody from our training department or somebody in training uh, mentioned, you know, the whole don't name your variable GR because there are places in the platform that can get you in trouble where if you're not wrapped in a function and make sure that that's privately scoped, you will be in trouble. So, yeah. And, and a lot of people get really confused about that because some of the documentation, a lot of the doc, like GR is a great example variable name. But so people read the documentation, they say, oh, yeah, GR, I'll just copy and paste this. But they don't change the variable name. Um, and, you know, some of the out-of-the-box code uses it, and it uses it wrapped in a function that's privately scoped. But then people say, well, I'll just copy and paste that, too. Yep. <laughs> and they don't realize that they ought not to do that. I had an so interesting I, I one. All the time. I had an interesting one doing a uh, discovery deployment years and years ago. I was running a custom, it was either custom sensor or classifier. I can't remember which one it was, but... I had inadvertently, I was writing a for loop and I forgot to put the var keyword in there. And my loop just went AWOL. Mm. It's like this thing should have looped like six times and it's going 1100 times, but it's not even consistent numbering. I mean, I put a GS info in there and go, what is going on? And it took forever to find that missing keyword. So it's just another you know, little slip ups like that in script can really make a big mess and you might not find them till later. Oh, yeah. Um, which gets to my next question. If it, We do have lots of people within service now that are listening to the podcast. So now is your time to let them know. What is one thing you'd like to see added, changed, improved in the developer tool set on the Now platform? Uh, preface my answer to this question by saying um, I, I sometimes am a little hard on the ServiceNow platform. <laughs> the reason for that is because... I love it. I see its power. 
I don't want anyone getting the idea that I don't think it's worth it. It is. I've chosen it as my career, exclusively working with service now, yeah. almost exclusively. Yeah. So I love this thing. Um, but I also see its potential, and there's a lot more yet to be done with it. I look forward to seeing and being part of the future of the platform. That said, oh, man, I wish they would fix the issues with application scope, uh, such as I mentioned earlier about application files from one app scope being captured for no apparent reason in uh, update sets that are in another scope. Um, in fact, I'd love to see just all of the features of the SUS tool built into the platform only way better because I genuinely wrote it in an afternoon and I'm certain that the internal platform engineers could do better than I did with just slapping it together. Um, but just loads of helpful little tweaks around application scope could make the experience of development on the now platform so much better. Imagine you're working, for example, uh, with the HR scope. Mm-hmm. Uh, the answer to that might be, uh, which HR scope? Because there are like, I think about a thousand of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so if you want to make changes, you might have to tweak something in the in some of the HR tables. You might have to go over the HR portal. You might have to do some other stuff here and there. And you could be working across three or four or five different app scopes. And it's not the easiest thing to to switch from one scope to another, especially if you're not using Studio, like you're using HR, for example. You're one of the uh, one of the ServiceNow scopes. Mm-hmm. Not super easy to switch between scopes, and you've got to then maintain three, four, five, six update sets at least. And you've got to carefully review each one. And if you don't have a tool like SUS, you're I, every time I've done this and had to work between multiple scopes for CSM or HR, or any of the ones that are broken into a bunch of different little scopes, um, I, I always end up with cross scope update sets. I don't know if it's just me. I mean, I've seen it happen to other people too, but I don't know if it's if I'm doing something wrong. But it's, it just happens every time. And it is the reason that I wrote that tool, in fact. Um, so just little tweaks like that to make application scope a little friendlier for developers. Make the update set and application scope pickers in the top right of the platform UI. Make them select two boxes so that you can type to filter, select your favorite scopes, or sort it by my most recently used scopes or something yeah. to make it just easier to interact with. Little tweaks like that. Plus, I'd also love to see the scoped APIs just be a little more powerful. They're kind of compared with the global APIs. They're kind of crippled, and it kills me. So much of the time, I'm doing something I've done a thousand times before, and it's not working. And it turns out it's because I'm in a scoped app, and I just can't figure out why things like uh, Glide Record Util isn't available you know, for scoped apps, not accessible from other scopes, things like that, you know? Um, so that's, that's kind of my main, my main complaint when someone asks me, Tim, why are you weeping? The answer is usually <laughs> application scope uh, has got me down. And the, this, I don't, you probably already aware of this. The strategic direction is to kill update sets. I mean, they're, they were a nice technology for 2005, but really, you know, there's there's other ways to do the whole DevOps operation than recording changes in a file. I mean, the only reason I, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think maybe there aren't any real good reasons for update sets going down. I know it's a long journey and a lot of customers are still using them. Their, their process is built around them and you can't get away from them today. But, uh, you know, you look at other technologies like GitHub or the app repo or, or something of that nature that uh, lends itself to a much cleaner experience than, oh, I've 
was accidentally in the wrong update set when I captured these changes. So I know that's a whole other big discussion that we could have, but the um, that's that's the general direction we'd like to go. <laughs> it's, yeah, I I, I would I, I like that notion. Yeah, it's it, well when you think about hooking into source control with GitHub and the GitHub APIs and using mm. DevOps and you know it's like here's a flow. I've been working for the last six weeks on this stuff. Let's push it. Let's test it. Let's promote it and and make that a lot cleaner. Because again, that that gets back to what our customers are asking us to do is, uh, hey, you know, we can't have two hundred developers on our implementation all working in a coordinated fashion with update sets. It's just not working for us. So what do we got to do? We got to step up and use some more modern approaches to this stuff. So that's that's kind of again. Driven by the customer's demand, we're trying to ditch the legacy stuff, but you know, obviously you can't kill it and get rid of it, or it would break a lot of other people. Okay, this is yeah. kind of back to that LinkedIn thread. Uh, what advice would you give a new developer just getting started now on ServiceNow? Well, I'd say, number one, uh, buy all of my books. In fact, buy five of them. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say... Uh, spend a lot of time in the community. Uh, obviously, I've, I've, I've written an article on how to learn ServiceNow, all the related technologies that you need to know, and and things like ITIL. Like, go learn ITIL. That's a really good idea. You don't have to necessarily get the cert right away. The ITIL, you know, V4 Foundation cert, you should get it eventually. You know, it's it's a it's good for your career. But go learn a little bit about ITIL. Know what you're talking about when you say incident versus change versus request. Those terms have specific meanings and you need to know what they are because you're, you're going to have a lot of conversations about them. You need to understand what you're talking about um, and learn a little bit about relational databases. You know, don't even you got a little bit of JavaScript. That's fine. Get a little bit of JavaScript, then go learn relational databases, learn ITIL, learn like what a foreign key and, and a private key are and how there's many to many relationships and one to many the different types of relationships and how they work. Um, learn some related tech, then come back to JavaScript specifically on the Now platform, especially using, uh, in fact, your video playlist, uh, JavaScript on the Now platform, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. I recommend that to everybody. Well, thank you. Um, and and then buy 40 of my books. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the ITIL thing, and uh, I, I, my previous employer, uh, I think there was one guy in the whole hundred and so people in the IT department that was ITV2 certified. And when we brought in ServiceNow, I said, hey, this is really something we need to understand. And it, 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 it wasn't, I mean, I understood incident problem change and how they fit together. And it was a logical conclusion that, you know, multiple incidents beget a problem, a problem should have a change, and that may precipitate other incidents if your change didn't go well. But that was just a small piece of it. It wasn't until I got to ServiceNow and I got V3 certified that understood the whole service design and service transition and service operations and where all that stuff fits in going, oh man, I was just looking at a piece of that pie. So I totally agree that there's a, a big value in at least investigating and understanding if you don't go for certification, uh, just understand what that's all about. And then of course, you know, you mentioned all the relational database stuff, which is really wonderful to know when you get into reference fields rather than going, what does that do? You know, just <laughs> understanding that oh, yeah. kind of stuff. Oh. And for the fundamental technology of the platform, I think understanding relational databases in general, you don't have to learn SQL necessarily, but right. I really recommend that people learn things like specifically about relationships and how they work. 
because it helps you understand how the ServiceNow platform works. Like you're getting the value of a field that happens to be a reference field. And you're like, why am I not getting the string of text that I see in the field? Well, it's because that's a display value as opposed to a GUID, a SysID, you know, things like that. I, super useful. And uh, it, it avoids a lot of the pitfalls that I see new people running into. I help a lot of people that are brand new to the platform uh, get into it. Uh, obviously because of the books and everything. And I, I encourage people in the books to reach out to me directly for, you know, where do I go from here type of questions. Um, and a lot of people do. And I, I always point them in that direction. And it seems to save them a lot of pitfalls. And we're not talking, you know, six week course at your local community college to learn relational databases. You can get a lot of stuff yeah, no. off the internet or a few good videos on YouTube. I don't have any at the top of my head, but just learning about one to many and many to many relationships and how that all works out will really help you understand when it comes to the glue about, oh, that's what the sys user GR group member table is for. And it's like, you understand, did I say no, sys user GR member and, and yeah. why it's the link between users and groups that, uh, you know, I could have done with mm, back in 1994 when I wrote my own ticketing system. I wish I had <laughs> one of those. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're exactly right. You, you definitely don't need... Uh, to become a database admin, you just need to understand the basics of how databases work, and you're going to have so much of an easier time in ServiceNow as you as you are on your learning journey. Just things like dot walking become so much clearer. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. It, you go, wow, this is really cool. I don't have to retrieve a record to get the next set of data, and, and retrieve a record from that to get the next. Set. It's like, it implicitly does it. Anyway, um, yeah. is there anything else you'd like to add that I may have missed? If, you, if you're curious to learn more about ServiceNow, check out my article at learn.snc.guru. If you're thinking about... <laughs> I'm just going to keep sticking if, those in. <laughs> if you're thinking about uh, making a career out of ServiceNow, head over to career.snc.guru. And, <laughs> and if you, uh, if you, if you want to know more about JavaScript on the ServiceNow platform, check out Chuck's videos on JavaScript on the ServiceNow platform. I think I have a link, bit.ly slash sn-learn-js will take you to the community article that gets you on that whole playlist. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> well, th thank you, Tim. It has been wonderful talking to you. But before we go, let people know how they can get a hold of you. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Short link is li.snc.guru. The blog is... <laughs> the blog I won't is do it for every one of these. <laughs> say, say the website again. I was talking. <clears throat> the blog is snprotips.com. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Tim Woodruff because at Tim Woodruff was taken. Uh, darn it. Like, <laughs> the, next we'll have real Tim Woodruff. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry the for the shady. <laughs> well, thank you again, wonderful listener, for joining us today. And don't forget to check out the other ServiceNow podcasts. You can find them at community.servicenow.com. Just for fun, I had to do that. Look under the resources menu. There's a podcast option. You can find them all there. And as I understand, there's more in the works. We're planning to add more podcasts because that's just who we are. And again, thank you so much, Tim, for joining us today. It was my pleasure, Chuck. Thank you for having me on. Reach out anytime. And thank you for doing this podcast in general, because I really enjoyed listening to it so far. Oh, thank you very much. We've got more coming. Thank you. Please let us know what you think about this podcast. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more great information on ServiceNow development, check out the ServiceNow developer portal at developer.servicenow.com. 
Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.